Live from our man caves in Virginia Beach, this is MLS Gone Wild, where Blem and Mike D bring you the latest news, rumors, analytics, predictions, and all things MLS and American soccer. Let's get it going, Blem. Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 5 of MLS Gone Wild. This is your host, Blem. Another week, another episode, another special guest, and of course, another Mike D. I hope everyone's having a great week. We're halfway through. On this week's episode of our Supporters Group mini-series, we are joined by Editor-in-Chief of The Post, contributor to the Knifey Lion Radio Podcast, and Secretary of the First Independent Supporters Group of FC Cincinnati, The Pride. Kevin Wallace, welcome to MLS Gone Wild. Ah, thanks for having me here, guys. Very, very excited to be, to be here on a, uh, a very eventful Wednesday uh, to be talking some, some FC Cincinnati. Yeah, holy shit, what a day it was for FC Cincinnati, the pride, yourself, and everyone who supports FCC. Not only did you find out you guys get to open your doors to the brand-new soccer-specific West End Stadium on May 16th for Inter-Miami, you also signed your number 10, Luciano Acosta. How are you freaking doing today, Kevin? I mean, this is, this is a day that uh, a lot of FCC fans, myself included, have been waiting for uh, over a year now, maybe since, maybe since we made it to MLS. Um, you know, that, that West End Stadium first date, uh, finally, you know, a key piece in the midfield. Didn't think it'd be happening on the same day. Um, and it, it, you know, when it, when it rains good news, it pours good news in, in FCC world. We've, we've had that trend this off season of sort of news dumps in one day. We'll, we'll get, we'll hear one rumor of a player and it's followed by seven or eight rumors. And all of a sudden we're signing one of them. And all of a sudden we have an Academy product player that we're signing. It, it just all will happen in one day. And then we'll go two or three weeks without hearing a single thing. So today was, uh, it was one of the better days, uh, you know, getting, getting that future day to the Western stadium. It just uh, puts a little, little pep in your step, you know, when you, you get, get to thinking about seeing some live soccer, maybe that new stadium. I mean, it's, it's nothing but good vibes. So. Yeah. Getting yeah. that date definitely builds the anticipation to FCC's third season in MLS play. And we reached out to you about a week ago just to find a guest. And it's almost like we knew that all this was coming. <laughs> the stars I mean, aligned. Hey, you you very well could have. Um, it's it's been the theme on on Twitter today is bragging about knowing about this stuff beforehand. So, uh, I mean, who knows who knew what when? So, <laughs> yeah, man, a lot of good news, new signings, new stadium. But before we jump into all that, in 2015, amongst rumors of Cincinnati getting a professional soccer team, a small group of friends came together to form the Pride Supporters Group. One year later, in 2016, rumors turned into reality as FC Cincinnati were formed, ready to compete in the USL Championship. Kevin, why and how did you join the Pride Supporters Group in the club's inaugural season of USL play? That's a great question. Um, and my, my story of joining the Pride is, uh, is an interesting one. So I'll say, um, while I joined the Pride very early on, I am definitely not a founder or a founding member even. Um, joined a, a few months uh, into that that project already having been launched. So I can't speak so much to the founding of it, but in terms of my finding it, uh, you know, I've 
I've been a soccer fan my whole life. Um, kind of the classic case of the, uh, the American soccer fan of just not really having that outlet. And yes, I see you guys decked out in crew gear. At the end of the day, you know, the, the games weren't super accessible on TV. It's a two-hour drive. And when you're in high school, you're not going to make that trip all the time. Um, and so it never really grabbed onto that. So it was a, a fan of soccer as much as I could be a part of it. And when I found out that there was going to be this professional team coming, I was intrigued. It was around the same time I personally got interested in what was at that time a fourth division team in Cincinnati. It was the old Cincy Saints, uh, a, a team that not a lot of people remember. Um, Interestingly enough, FCC's Weston Stadium is built on the exact spot that the Saints used to play, so they'll share uh, that same spot. But anyway, um, I joined the Pride uh, at a like a, a, a preseason event where we got to meet some of the players. I wasn't so sold on it then. I actually had a lot of criticisms for the group. I was I was very critical of how they sort of presenting themselves in that first season and in the lead up to it. And I, uh, I, I let them know, you know, I, we had a, a massive uh, Reddit flame war and, and some threads on some comments and it, it got, it got pretty heated. And I was like, you know what? Like I'm, I'm not running from this fight. And I showed up at the, the general meeting the next day. I'm like, hi, I'm the one that was bad mouthing you on online. Um, but I think my, my goal there was to like, I want to be involved. Like I want to be a part of the solution. Like I, I have these issues with how this supporters group is, is being run and I would like to help you fix those. And I like to think I have helped uh, with some of those issues. Um, maybe I haven't, I don't know. The members haven't, uh, unelected me, uh, from my position yet, but, um, but yeah, that was sort of how I found the pride and how I got involved. Um, was, yeah, fi finding something that, that needed, uh, needed to be done and, and going to go do it. Well, that's great. You went from having all those harsh criticisms and those Reddit fights. Now you're the secretary. What all does that entail? Uh, so officially, uh, my, my role is to, you know, set regular meetings and make sure those meetings are running, running the elections. Um, which during a pandemic was very fun. Got to get to play around with some uh, online voting uh, programs and whatnot. Uh, but generally, I mean, everybody wears lots of caps, right? So I'm attending community meetings about, you know, the neighborhoods that we were going to be potentially marching through, um, going to city council meetings to discuss, you know, potential stadium plans when that was happening, uh, to now, you know, we're, we're discussing all sorts of things in terms of what we're going to be offering our members in terms of membership packages, how we're going to engage online, how we're going to navigate this weird COVID you know, declining world of limited capacity. How do we advocate for our membership to get as many members into the stadium? How do we provide an atmosphere or do we provide an atmosphere, you know, to the best way that we can? Tons and tons of logistics that go into that. And um, yeah, none of those officially fall under the secretary, but all of it requires, you know, <laughs> hands and elbow grease so so every everybody's jumping in there so um so yeah it's it's a lot so <laughs> it seems to be the trend i mean even with uh, jorge last week from from austin fc supporters group he was talking about all the things that he had to do and he wore many caps just like you talked about yep 
Now, I will say to, to that end, um, one thing that we have been trying to get away from and something I think a lot of supporters groups sort of suffer from is that the executive board or the leadership kind of takes on a lot of those responsibilities, takes on a lot of those, um, you know, just a lot of the tasks, even the small tasks uh, that can be delegated. And so there's definitely been a push for 2021 is finding more ways to get more people involved. Um, and that's tricky, again, in a COVID world where everybody is sick of uh, Zoom meetings. Uh, no offense to how we're recording tonight. <laughs> but if you can have a meeting in a bar, in a pub, instead of over Zoom, that's going to be the preferred method, right? So how do we sort of navigate that? Um, but trying to get more people involved and finding things that we can give people, kind of um, trusting them to take on those responsibilities, but then also asking people what they want to do. And I've been sort of constantly searching for more people like me who have issues with how the pride does things and then asking them how they would fix it. What would they do? And then please do that. <laughs> you know, Oh, you don't like, you don't like how we do social media. Great. You get the Instagram account now, like just run with it, make it the best Instagram account run by a supporters group you can. Um, so yeah, so as much as we are wearing many hats, I would like to be taking some of them off and giving them to, to new people. Yeah, your guys' supporters group is made up of thousands of members, I'm pretty sure, yeah? Uh, so we have fluctuated, and how we count membership always gets a little weird because we do do an annual membership. Last year was very funky with not being able to actually recruit in person, which is how we get most of our people. Um, I think it would be fair to say that we have about 750 members. We have been as high as 1,200. We have been as low as 500. Um, but we've constantly been growing. So um, no idea what to expect this year. Uh, we're actually ordering scarves right now, and that's been the question. Do we, do we shoot, shoot the moon or, uh, or, or do we play it safe? So. Not only is your supporters group growing, the entire fan base has been growing exponentially since the jump, since it was founded, since that small group of fans came together in 2015 when that rumor came out about the possibility of FC Cincinnati, a professional soccer team. So was saying that Cincinnati went from a city who had never supported a professional soccer team in 2015 to record-setting attendance in the USL with an average of 17,296 fans in your first ever year in 2016 in the USL. Following your Open Cup semifinal loss to New York Red Bulls in 2017, then head coach Jesse Marsh regarded Cincinnati as the best soccer environment in America. How did this grassroots movement transpire into record-setting attendance in only a matter of just one year? There's so many different possible answers here, so I'll, I'll, try, to, I'll try to hit the highlights here. Uh, first and foremost, the team presented itself as a major league product from the beginning, and it never wavered from that. There was never really uh, an attempt from the front office and how it presented itself to the city that they were a minor league team that would eventually grow into a major league team. They were a major league team from the start, um, playing at Nippert Stadium um, made them immediately legitimate. They could have just as easily been at the UC Stalker Stadium, um, literally across the street that holds you know, 1,500 fans. And that would have been very reasonable for the USL at that time, which was third division. Um, 
Or they could have gone to Xavier's soccer stadium, which I think holds somewhere around 4,000 fans, which if they'd sold out 4,000 fans every match would have still been seen as a success story in the third division. Um, but they went with Nipper, 30,000 30, uh, you know, person capacity stadium, very intimate, uh, great location. Um, they start off by hiring John Harks, which was a, uh, a statement for, again, a third division team. They could have just as easily hired, you know, a junior college coach and, and gotten away with it. Uh, Cincinnati State has a, uh, a nationally, you know, every single year they, they were in the top 10 at that point, uh, men's JUCO soccer. Um, they, they could have just poached that program, basically. They didn't. They, they went all the way uh, to, to – you know, a reasonable top for, for what they could get. Um, and people recognize that, you know, Carl Linder was behind this. That is a name that means something in Cincinnati. So people immediately recognize that and recognize that this was something that, that was supposed to be taken seriously. At the same time, the club had made some early slip ups, I'll say in terms of marketing. Actually, if you want a good laugh go look at fc cincinnati's youtube page and just go find the oldest videos you can find and then consider like where this club is now it's remarkable this team survived the first few months like it is terrible marketing um but they they fixed those mistakes they brought in some some smart soccer people to to fix their overall look and honestly, they had a really good relationship with the supporters very early on and were willing to enable the supporters to take the lead in building that section in that environment. Um, the supporters wanted smoke. They said, great, you know, knock yourselves out, get some smoke. Uh, drums, great. Like there was never a battle. The only like battles uh, that I can remember from those early days was like asking for signs. Like I know the Nordeca has this, like asking for signs, telling people like, this is not an average section. Like, please have some different expectations as you walk in here. Um, we never got those signs, by the way. Would have been nice. Um, still, still find the occasional grandma sitting in the Bailey wondering why everybody is standing in front of her. Uh, um, so, but, but enabling those supporters uh, was, was very key. And honestly, we've had a really, really good, talented core group of leaders across all of the supporters groups in charge. I think uh, largely the supporters groups have been, at least at the, the higher echelons, have been devoid of ego. Not a lot of people are in this for themselves. They're not in it to make a name for themselves. They're not in it to to spin it into, you know, a career or or working with the front office or a league or, or anything like that. Um, we got some really talented people that have been able to pull this off. So um, one thing I would point to is like our TIFOs. So TIFOs went from okay, I would say in the first year, to about the second and third year. I'd argue we had some of the best, you know, hand-drawn artwork in, in all of American soccer. Um, and we did that quickly. And that's, that's just pure talent. That's having talented people in those positions to be able to do that. Um, so those three things, you know, professional product right away, uh, front office who was willing to concede to supporters groups, and then actually having some really solid, talented uh, supporters groups leaders uh, in charge of that. And I'll exclude myself from that. I'm not, don't don't consider me a part of the the, the talented supporters. I mean, I I could list names, but they go on and on and on. Um, 
in, in the people that helped build this. So um, it's been really, really, really cool to see. It sounds like FCC went with the motto, go big or go home with, you know, selling the, we are going to be a professional team. We're not going to settle for anything less than that. But you have said something previously in that question in the previous question, how, you know, you were a soccer fan, you played in the fourth division, you had to go to Columbus is, and then we see this huge mass number of people show up year one in the USL was soccer. Let me reword that was Cincinnati a soccer city before 2016. Yes. Cincinnati was definitely a soccer city before 2016. I think if you were, I don't know, imagine like a, a, I don't know, some sort of investment firm, right? Who was trying to rank all the various markets in uh, America as to where you might want to drop the next professional soccer team to be profitable. I think Cincinnati would have been top three in your list. Um, it doesn't jump off the page immediately, but it's a small city that loves its sports. Like the, the high school sports coverage is huge here. I think we have multiple cable channels and radio stations that carry multiple, uh, you know, high school uh, athletics all throughout the year. Um, you know, passionate professional fan base, uh, but only two professional teams. So the market's not saturated. But then the huge thing here is that soccer participation in this city is massive. Almost every single child in Cincinnati is playing soccer. Um, and that means not only kids are playing soccer, but those parents are at least exposed to the sport, presumably like it since they signed their kid up for it in the first place. Um, and that, that, you know, pump was primed for people who really like soccer. I think if you go back and look at some of the top markets for World Cup matches or U.S. women's uh, matches, Cincinnati has always been consistently in some of the top 10 ranked uh, media markets in terms of soccer consumption for big games. Um, obviously, that has gotten better with FC Cincinnati drawing even more focus on, this, on the city and on, on the sport, I should say. Um, so yeah, that was always there. They just didn't have anything to attach to it. Um, I do wonder that if the the Saints had stuck around a little bit longer, maybe moved to USL themselves a little bit earlier and had an investor, maybe they could have done something. But for, for Leonard to, to just sort of drop, frankly, a ready-made major league product, you know, out of the, out of the sky for that, people were ready for it and, and jumped all over it. So, Kevin, like you said, FC Cincinnati has always considered itself an MLS product from the jump. And in January 2017, they officially submitted their expansion bid. What was that anticipation like from the time of the bid being put into, you know, May 19th of 2018 when MLS finally announced that FC Cincinnati would join the MLS? Oh, this is brutal. <laughs> that sucked. Are you kidding me? Um, look, we had people furious with our front office that they that that FC Cincinnati didn't buy ads in Times Square like the Tampa Bay Rowdies did. All right, like that was a controversy for a month. Um, that's how stupid that time was. Okay, to think that anybody now would be threatened by the Tampa Bay Rowdies just seems kind of silly. Um, there was real fear that if FC Cincinnati did not get into that first round of expansion, that was it. The, the ship would sail. And I don't think that was wrong. I mean, look at Sacramento. Like, 
the, the, they were in MLS and are now out of MLS hoping to get back in. Um, and yeah, I mean, you look at like, there was a Detroit bid that was put in by the Ford family and two other NBA owners, uh, the, the Pistons and, and Cavaliers owner. That was, I believe, the single wealthiest sports ownership group in the world. Now, it turns out that was maybe not a bid for a major league soccer team, but was more for a bid for a prime piece of property in downtown Detroit. But when you're FC Cincinnati and you feel like you're fighting for your club's life, which is MLS or death, which again, like look around USL, that seems pretty likely. Um, that was terrifying. So, you know, as supporters, we turned into sort of like, political advocates and we were at county commissioner meetings and we were at city hall uh, we were out there you know arguing you know we need the best possible place for our club to exist now obviously we don't want the city and the county to be screwed we've seen paul brown stadium we've seen great american ballpark like we all are still paying on that um so we didn't want to we don't want to do that but where there were places where the city or the county could make life easier for our club, we would like that to happen. Um, and that's what we were pushing and pushing and pushing. And so many people had so many different ideas about how that could look and how that could work. And we were looking at, you know, stadium renderings from Newport, you know, in Kentucky. We were looking at Oakley. We we're looking at the West End. And the whole time, the thought was, well, West End is impossible. Newport's in Kentucky. We'd really like it to be in Cincinnati. Oakley it is. All right. We'll have the quasi-suburban thing. It's still definitely in the city limits. It's still definitely in the city, but it's not the urban core, quote unquote. Um, you know, and West End would be great, but man, what a what a pie in the sky idea. Uh, and slowly but surely, little roadblocks were getting knocked down minds were being changed politicians minds were being changed things were happening and um it really looked like that could that could happen but man the, it was brutal i mean people were furious you had of course at the same time you have all of your usl rivals sort of mocking you for trying to join this right so like louisville fans and detroit city fc fans and the Pittsburgh fan, you know, they're furious with you for trying to leave their league. Um, Sacramento's wondering where you're coming from because they've been doing what we've been doing a lot longer. So why is, why is Cincinnati getting to jump this line here? Um, and then of course we have these exact same feelings for a team like Nashville or St. Louis or Austin. Like where are you coming from? We're, we're the ones pulling in all the fans and you're going to, you're going to announce Nashville first. Are you kidding me? Um, so yeah, that was that was wild. That was brutal because I mean, think about this: Carl Linder is a multi-billionaire. He has no interest in owning a minor league soccer team. That doesn't even make sense. He's renting uh, a stadium from a university that he is the largest donor of. Uh, this is silly for him to keep this going. If he doesn't get this team into major league soccer, there's there's no point in him keeping this team he'll sell it it'll go die a sad slow death you know way out in the burbs somewhere um so for every fcc fan who had even just thought about it for one second uh they knew that that fight was a fight for the club's survival um 
And we did it. So, you know, we can have as many crappy seasons as we want in Major League Soccer. We didn't die. You've never heard of the Wilmington Hammerheads. And that's why sucking in MLS is better. So, hey, you'd much rather suck in the MLS than, than <laughs> your, you know, USL. So, yeah, hold that. Hold that. Yeah. Hold that till you die. So, Kevin, before we get into the expansion, you said Newport, Kentucky, and that just took my mind back to when I was younger. Every year, uh, my dad and I would go to Cincinnati Reds, Great American, Ball, Great American Ballpark to watch opening day. And we always used to go to Willie's, which isn't in Newport. I believe it was in Covington, up on the hill, yeah, yeah, really yeah. close to the Hampton. Yep. I just I had to get on the Google machine and look it up. And did that go out of business? It's Wild Willie's now or something like that? Uh, it's changed names a thousand and one times. I couldn't, I honestly couldn't tell you. And then plus throw COVID in there. I don't know who's still surviving. I, I have, I've not ventured out into the bar scene in Kentucky in a while. So... <laughs> Yeah, sorry, you just took me in the way back machine. So I, I had I had to I had to ask if it was still there or not. So yeah, like you said, yes, you guys made it to the MLS. All that hard work, the grassroots movement, the ownership, bringing in the supporters group, all that hard work you guys did landed you an MLS team. But with MLS expansion comes a soccer-specific stadium. Nippert Stadium has been home to the club since 2016, but starting this year, like we've said. FC Cincinnati will be playing in their brand new soccer specific West End Stadium. Of the memories you have made in Nepper, what has been the most memorable? Oh man, the, the most memorable moment, uh, without a doubt, is Mitch Hildebrandt blocking uh, the penalty kick to win uh, in the Open Cup and send us on to the next round. That was, that was, the single best sports moment of my life. Now, as a Cincinnati fan, there's not a lot to add to this list. Um, I, I don't, I don't know how many other Cincinnati fans will be out there, but I, I rank this barely above uh, Pike to Bins. I was, I was at the game at, in Pitt where uh, UC capped off an undefeated season and, and got to watch uh, the Big 12 title game to see if they, they potentially make it to the, the college football championship game. Um, but no, uh, Mitch blocking that was pure insanity because obviously we had just beat Columbus crew, right? Like that was a good moment. We beat, I know I got to bring it up, but <laughs> we, we beat the in-state rival one, nothing. It was a big moment. Um, you know, it was definitely, you know, if you, if you hadn't been paying attention to FCC and American soccer before that, you knew about them then. Um, and that was great. And at that point on, we're playing with house money, right? Like we could lose the next game 10 to nothing and it, it would not matter. Um, but we, we beat Chicago. And what a lot of people don't realize about that game is that we were trying to lose. So Alan Koch was not, he figured they beat Columbus. He thought he had the same thought. He's like, look, the further we get in this tournament, the worse it gets. Cause we're not going to win it. And, we have to, you know, perform in the playoffs. That's what Cincinnati wants. They want playoff wins. I don't really view this tournament as playoffs. We need playoff wins. The longer this goes, the more difficult our season becomes. And so he ran out a B team against Chicago. Um, and Chicago will never admit that. Um, but that is what happened. I remember being in the, in the stands going, really? We're, we're throwing this one? This is stupid. Um, and they pull it off. And not only do they pull it off, but Mitch blocks like what was it, three penalty kicks in that in that that game. That was insanity. The 
reaction of the crowd was amazing. It was perfect. It was the perfect reaction you'd ever want from a crowd. And the best part about it is in the Bailey, uh, the Bailey at Nippert uh, has this overhang where it actually starts, you know, like 12, 15, 20 feet up in the air, right? And so when you're at the back of the Bailey, you actually can't see the bottom half of the goal. So for a lot of goals, unless it's hitting the top of the net, you have no idea if it's actually made it. You base your reaction on the people in front of you who are basing their reaction on the people in front of them. And for that match, I was all the way up at the top of the Bailey, and I'll never forget watching that wave of excitement quickly run up the Bailey as people realized from the people in front of them that the the kick had been blocked and we had just won. Um, That wave and the roar of the crowd was just perfect um that was uh, easily my favorite sports moment wow so we talk about moving to a new stadium with a new location of the stadium obviously means a new bar for the pride to gather at before fc cincinnati matches right yeah. so brian and i or uh I'm, I'm gonna pronounce this name wrong i think but is, is brian weigel uh yeah, co- yeah yeah you got it you got it so brian weigel co-host of the cincy soccer talk podcast tipped us off that you have a great story about how you all decided on the new support bar. Care to share with us? Yeah, absolutely. So um, if people know about the pride, uh, they, they might know that we've always struggled for a home bar. Um, we, we actually had a different home bar for every single season uh, when we were at Nippert because each time we ran into new problems, um, new issues. These were college bars that didn't particularly care for soccer fans. They were too small and we grew too big. That was a fun problem to have. Um, We had a big bar that had one bathroom. I don't know how that was legal, but it was it was an okay bar besides that. Um, and they stopped caring about us. That was fun. Anyway, we knew that as soon as the Wesson Stadium, you know, was going to be a thing, we knew generally where the stadium was going to be. We knew when that uh, season, we, we, we knew the target season for the construction. The Pride immediately got started looking for bars. We are like, we need to nail this. You know, we've, we've screwed up enough. We need, we need our home that will last, you know, 30 years or whatever, as long as that bar is open. Um, and so we, we went out, we, we tried all the different bars, right? That's always a good time. You get, you get to go try, you get, you get to, to try out the atmosphere, you get to try out the bar staff, you get to drink all of the drinks. It's a good time. Um, but nothing was really clicking. Like it was definitely a situation, uh, uh, Vice President uh, Matt Bruce said, you, you know it when you see it. Like we, we, knew, we knew exactly what would not work at this point. You know, we had, we had that list of everything that would not work for a bar. Um, and I was actually at the time working uh, at a museum and we were doing a walking tour of over the Rhine neighborhood and we were looking at hand-painted signs on the sides of buildings. Uh, and we came across one, it was uh, painted by a famous uh, sign painter in Cincinnati. I say famous, there's like eight people that would recognize the name, but in sign painting world, he's a big deal. Um, <laughs> and uh, as we were out there, uh, I thought it was an abandoned building and a lady popped her head out and she was like, Hey, you guys want to come in? Um, and I wasn't able to then. And I came back and it turns out they were a brewery and a distillery. And I started talking to them and it turns out they are massive soccer fans and they are FC since I, uh, season ticket holders from day one. And they want to build 
a, a bar and a brewery and a distillery that was based around community. Um, their, uh, their slogan was outcasts welcome. You know, it was this idea of like bringing together this ragtag group of people to celebrate Cincinnati, to celebrate that city, to celebrate that brewing tradition. It's in an old Christian Moorline um, lagering house or, or ice house. I'm probably going to screw up that part of the story, but it, it, in a historic uh, brewing building. And yeah, it's just steeped in history. Like the Cincinnati Gardens was a, a, a famous um, venue in Cincinnati. The Beatles played there. Uh, the Cincinnati Royals NBA team played there. Um, the lighting in this bar is uh, Cincinnati Gardens lighting. Like they got the old halogen lights out and, and was able to reinstall them. Um, they bought this old bar back in Colorado that was actually made in Cincinnati. It's this hand-carved turn-of-the-century, beautiful, beautiful bar. Um, hanging up in the rafters is a boat that trained the uh, rowing team that beat the Nazis in the 1934 Olympics. Like this thing is awesome. So we, we went there with the board. We shared many drinks, but Northern row uh, brewery and distillery. Um, they've knocked it out of the park. They've been distributing more and more in Cincinnati, their beers. They have started distilling. Um, I can tell you, I had uh, a few too many of their hop infused uh, gin uh, drinks that they have there. It's incredible. Um, they do really, really, really good stuff. Um, it's a beautiful place. It's a short walk from the stadium. It's right on the streetcar line, so you can park anywhere in the city and get there easily. Um, it just checked every single box that we were looking for. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm really, really hoping uh, everybody can get their vaccines, keep their masks on, and uh, we can have a full bar and a full stadium and uh, – we get ourselves a, uh, a a beautiful home crowd for this uh, for this season. Wow, what is a that, story! Is that where you guys are going to meet to march to the new West End Stadium? So at least the Pride. Um, I can't speak for the other groups, uh, largely because they haven't announced theirs yet. Um, I, it's not my place to announce them. I don't know most of them. Um, but generally speaking, yes, the march will be from the general vicinity of Northern Row, which is around Finley Market. So that would be a good landmark for people. It will head south um, and then head over to the stadium. Uh, we're actually working with the police department still about that exact march route. Um, these are the fun things about a supporters group that had uh, I don't know, the, the average member maybe doesn't get exposed to, which is um, constant conversations with fire departments, uh, neighborhood councils, and the police. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's probably good you guys are having those conversations because I saw a couple of the pictures of some of the marches you guys have. Those things are massive. So, Kevin, can you explain to us the energy and what it's like being a part of a march to the stadium? Yeah, it's it's definitely, you know, if you're a crew fan, this is not something that you experience or at least have an experience. Hey, whoa, let's see what happens this year, guys. Um, but, the, uh, uh, you know, the, a lot of people, their, their American sports, you know, idea is the tailgate, right? Like that's that's crew's thing. It's, it's sort of a byproduct of the, uh, you know, obviously Ohio State football culture, but then also, you know, you're in the middle of a fairground. It's kind of all you can do. But with Nippert, we had the opportunity to have tons of bars, you know, tons of college bars around the area. Um, 
in full credit, it was uh, Dienenstadt, one of the other supporters groups. Their original plan was actually to march from Rheingeist up to Nippert. And they did that exactly once. And if you ever go onto Google Maps uh, and look at that, you might think like, oh, that's reasonable. I think it's barely a mile. You know, it's about how long our march was in uh, in Clifton, uh, but it's all straight uphill. Uh, the steepest grade you could possibly <laughs> give it. Um, great in theory, it did not work out, but they set the idea of a march going from the bar to the stadium. They moved home bars. We decided to latch on to their march. Um, it became the FC Cincinnati supporters march. And from that point on, every supporters group has sort of planned their bar around the march, where the march route would be, who's the furthest one out, um, where's the logical place to send everybody to and funnel through, and then obviously conversations with the police. Um, and it just became the thing. Uh, I have old videos of the very first march, and I'm not kidding. It's like 20 people. It's nothing. Um, but slowly but surely, more and more people would come, and people were singing songs and banging on drums and it was a really good time uh, you could tell like hey those people are there are, are having fun as they walk into the stadium I want to have fun as I walk into the stadium it sounds great um, and it just became more and more of a thing to the point where people were interested just in the march they want to know where the march is and they'll join up later so um, it's become a thing in and of itself and we're super, super happy to have that be a part of the FC Cincinnati sort of fan experience. It's definitely uh, the tradition. Um, and yeah, you look at that, that March of that Portland game, 2019, um, that, that is insane. Um, that was, that was remarkable. I was near the front of that March and I remember somebody just screaming like, turn around, <laughs> just looking backwards, just being just blown away by the massive people coming down that street. It was awesome. It's such a unique experience, especially in America. I don't think there's anything else like that. The picture I saw especially, if it's like that week in and week out, there's nothing else like that on the American soccer scene. I mean, it it pretty much is. I mean, I don't want – don't let the Portland one be like the benchmark, but look at any other match. And, I mean, there are huge marches. Um that that go through this thing. I mean, obviously the home opener was a big one, and it was St. Patrick's Day, so like the bars were extra full that day. Like a lot, a lot helped uh, build that up. Very annoying. St. Patrick's Day MLS opener against Portland. There was a little too much green for my taste in the fan base. All right, that was that was the thing. Uh, <laughs> but but it definitely got people out to the bars and into the march uh, early. So that was great. But yeah, I mean, it's a huge march always. Uh, we've always had a uh, sort of a rally point uh, where everybody kind of like gets hype and smoke bombs are set off and flares are set off outside of the stadium. Songs are sung. It's usually our best chance to introduce people to new songs so they kind of get that before the stadium. Um, and then it moves into the stadium. And so it's, it's an incredible tradition. And yeah, if you're, if you're coming to an FCC match uh, and you're, you know, not an FCC fan, definitely look up where the March is going to be. Like you want to see that. That is a part of the experience you want to see. Yeah. You definitely won't catch me wearing my black and gold that day. I don't want, I don't want to get jumped. <laughs> I don't think we've jumped anybody. I think we're a fairly, Okay, I'll say in person, we're a very friendly fan base. Online, I've, I've read, I've read yeah. Twitter. 
All right. Well, we're going to get into a little bit of a Twitter war later that I saw after an announcement today. But Good. listeners, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, Added Time Outfitters. Stick around because after the break, we'll be discussing FCC's offseason acquisitions, the Frankie Amaya saga, season predictions, and more. We'll be back in 60 seconds. We all love the beautiful game. We spend countless hours watching, tweeting, discussing, playing, and talking about the sport. And we all have our favorite memories when our teams made history. Moments like Liverpool's miracle in Istanbul or Celtics 2-1 triumph over arguably the best Barca side ever. Those moments that keep us coming back for more. But what if you could carry those moments with you all the time? At a time, Outfitters creates soccer-inspired wristbands to let you wear those memories on your wrist. Each reversible elastic design gives supporters of the beautiful game a unique way to rep their favorite team in any setting. With wristbands for your favorite teams from across Europe, the USA, and beyond, each added time design incorporates a 90-minute story from that famous match. Check out all 24 of Added Time Outfitters' current designs on the web at www.addedtime.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Added Time Outfitters. Welcome back to Season 3, Episode 5 of MLS Gone Wild, featuring Kevin Wallace, Secretary of the Pride Supporters Group. Head over to AddedTimeOutfitters.com for all of your soccer-inspired wristbands and accessories. Use promo code GONEWILD at checkout for 10% off your entire order. And they even have FCC wristbands. <laughs> so, Kevin, absolutely. In, in this offseason, FC Cincinnati have signed multiple players, Ben Mines, Cody Cropper, Ronald Matrita, or Matarita, excuse me. I always mess that up. Matrita, Matarita, and, oh, let's not forget the $13 million man, Brenner. Brenner, the third most expensive incoming transfer in MLS history, scored 22 goals in all competitions for Brazilian powerhouse Sao Paulo. And head coach Job Stom, in a Monday afternoon press conference, hinted that FCC fans could see Lacadia and Brenner play together up top. How do you see Brenner fitting in and affecting this SEC team in need of goals? I really hope he scores goals because uh, FC Cincinnati could not do it last year. Plain and <laughs> so, simple. Love it. <laughs> I mean, just, just get us some. They can be as ugly as you want. Uh, this team literally scored 12 goals last year. Uh, <laughs> the highest goal scorer on the team had three. All right. This is not a very high benchmark to clear for the guy who was paid $13 million. Honestly, if we paid a million dollars per goal, it is worth it. It is more than worth it. That is all we need. Um, so here's the thing about actually what you just said, uh, which was uh, Stom mentioning he could see Brenner and Lacadia up top as a strike uh, partnership in a, uh, did he say five, three, two, right? Was the, the, the formation. Okay. Here's the problem with that. And when he said that I was very alarmed, this team has on it seven different players who can play as a winger. Most of those are out and out wingers. A five, three, two plays with zero wingers. Why do you have seven wingers on the team? If you do not plan on playing with any of them, this would be like saying, you know, imagine a college football coach taking over a spread offense team. It's their first year. And they go, all right, we're going we're gonna to definitely hammer them with a fullback. 
And you go, you don't have any fullbacks, man. Like, that's just not a thing. Why, why, are, why are we imagining a scenario where we're going to play a style of this sport that you literally cannot do? Or in this case, you're just going to be wasting money. You're just going to be spending a ton of money. Kubo is a designated player. Barrial cost over a million dollars last year. Uh, we just spent a first-round draft pick on a generation Adidas player, Calvin Harris. He's a winger. Why would we do that if we don't intend on playing with wingers? That's a very dumb move. And you know what's funny about that? Lacadia, historically, has been a pretty good winger. I don't know. Maybe you make him a winger, and then him and Brenner can play. Oh, and guess what? You can throw Kubo or Barrial on the other side. And oh my gosh, all your money's on the field now. What, a, what an amazing way to put a team together. Um, so that was scary when he said that. We also, uh, Matarita on the left side, great. Who's our right back? We don't have I, one. <laughs> I, saw a, I saw a projected starting 11, and I believe Joe Zhao is also another one of your yes. out-and-out Joe... out wingers, and they had him at right wing back. Yeah, uh, which is great because he spent his entire career on the left wing, by the way. Not even a right winger. He was a left winger all, all in the Bundesliga. So, of course, you take a left winger and convert him to a right wing back. Um, so, it's weird. Now, obviously sign Lucho Costa today. This team is not done shopping. They're, you know, they're, they're not, they're not going to tell you that this roster is complete. And maybe there is a right wing back in there. And maybe we do sell a handful of players. Maybe Kubo is on his way out. I don't know. Uh, maybe Lacadia gets pulled back by Brighton and sold to whoever will take him. Um, that's not impossible. Um, but that's weird. Anyway, Brenner, I think, in a setup where he is a, a striker, a center forward who's allowed to be as a center forward, put a couple of uh, wingers on either side of him and put a Lucho Acosta behind him, I think he can be incredibly productive. Most of his goals, if you look at his highlight reel, uh, tend to be poacher-type goals, and that's great. Like, let all the creative guys create attacking movement around him let him get some rebounds, let him get him some de deflected shots uh, and turn those into goal chances. You know, um, he could be very successful if the team is set up to play to his strengths. If he is supposed to be doing any of this work himself, I don't know he'll be able to do it. Um, at least he hasn't shown that yet. Uh, maybe he'll surprise us and, and he has that in the bag. I mean, he's a young Brazilian. I trust him to play with his feet, but I don't know. We haven't seen it yet in a professional setting. So quick question over under on Brenner goals this year. Oh God. Uh, 10 and a half. I think that's fair just because there's so many question marks around this team. I mean, I'd love to be able to tell you like he's a nailed on 20 goal score guy or whatever. Um, I just don't know. Uh, the other part of me really hopes that with a front three that could consist of Lacadia, Brenner, Kubo, Barrial, maybe Calvin Harris is that player. I mean, we, we really lucked out with uh, Frankie Amaya as a generation Adidas product. Maybe we hit, hit gold twice, um, and he's a very productive winger. Alucho Costa, I would really hope that in how this team is being set up, that the goals are spread out. We should not have one person running away with the goals. Um, and so that's why I would definitely handicap his goals lower. So I don't know. Is, is 10 and a half high? Is that low? I don't know. That felt right, though. It feels right. And how much of an effect do you think Lucho Acosta is going to have on that 10 and a half line? I think he's, I think he's vital. 
um, last year, FC Cincinnati brought in uh, Sim Young to be that number 10. Um, and not a bad option on paper. Uh, he had a rough season in Australia, which was maybe a red flag, but a veteran player who had proven himself in high enough competition to be able to put together a competent performance, take away his defensive responsibilities, and he should have been fine. Uh, and he had zero goals, zero assists, and looked like he was running with you know concrete shoes on. It was horrible. Um, so that is who they're replacing in the 10. They tried Kubo in that role. He did not do it. Uh, Alan Cruz had a terrible year last year. I mean, he was, in my mind, he, he was maybe the most underrated midfielder in 2019 in MLS. I, I think he was somebody who, who should have been a much bigger star. I think if he played on a halfway competent team a lot more people would have been paying attention to him maybe he'd be playing in europe right now um he had a terrible year last year and so he couldn't really play that role so i think somebody that can string together passes somebody that can connect um the defense to the offense is what we need we have ball winning midfields we have guys who can keep possession we need somebody to be able to unlock defenses hit those key passes um let wingers you know run in behind defenses um and Acosta ought to be that player. I mean, last year, we literally didn't have anybody who could dribble at defenses. So having somebody who is able to do that and willing to do that is going to be key to this team being remotely successful, which is also scary because there isn't really a backup plan to Acosta. Like if he gets hurt or whatever, um, the season's going to go real, real bad. So that's, you'll see a lot of fans have been pinning a lot of hopes and dreams on him, and that's why. So quickly, are you satisfied with signing Luciano Acosta as your number 10? I am. Um, I don't know who the other options were, and I don't know how much they would have cost. Uh, I still haven't heard the exact number in terms of what we paid Atlas. They paid DC a lot of money for nothing, um, but that's MLS. Uh, but yeah, I'd say overall is a, a good bit of business. So, Kevin, you talked about how this team is not done shopping. Jobstom's Monday interview, we referenced the same. We talked about Lucho. Now that you've found this number 10, you talked a little bit about you need guys that can create and get in behind, you know, and open up some space. What other positions do you need to bolster now that the MLS transfer officially open today? Yeah, I would definitely say right back uh, would be my first key. Um, and then another center back. Um, Last year, the defense was actually sneaky competent. I don't think a lot of people would have expected that. Uh, 2019 was a historically terrible defense. There's no sugarcoating that. But last year, last year you make the argument that FC Cincinnati's defense was average. And average in comparison to the worst defense of all time, pretty good. Um, so if they, can, if they can be average uh, this year, great. They just need that offense to click, and this this team should be fine, at least making the playoffs. Um, but the defense is very thin right now. Uh, if a center back goes down, this gets very difficult. Um, and again, we talked about Joe Jowett right back. That seems really dangerous. His backup, or maybe the potential starter, not sure, is Zico Bailey, who has five career starts uh, for a senior team. Uh, he's a very young guy. He didn't look bad last year in those five starts, but are you going to, you know, <laughs> stake the entire season on that? I wouldn't. And Madrid is probably going to be playing with the Costa Rican national team at some point this year. 
and his backup is uh, a second round draft pick from uh, South Florida, University of South Florida, who I don't think was actually even officially signed as of recording this right now. So that could get kind of weird. Um, we do have an academy. We have signed players out of that academy. So maybe we do see some academy guys getting promoted up to be depth. Um, our academy is apparently very good. Uh, top Drawer Soccer rated it as, I believe, the number one or, or definitely a top five academy uh, team, our, our under-17 team. I should be clear, not the academy pipeline, the under-17 team. Uh, no offense intended to... Philadelphia, New York, Dallas, et cetera. Uh, but that under-17 team, like, went undefeated and was awesome. So, I don't know. Maybe there's some guys on there we can promote. Um, but center back and right back are, are going to be key um, yeah. to this team surviving the year. I think our starting lineup right now is fine. Again, right back I have questions about. Um, but one or two guys drops, and this gets real ugly real quick. So you're questioning the right back spot. Early in our podcasting days, we had the honor and privilege to interview Chris Duvall, who was at the time the right back, starting right back, heading into MLS's back for the Portland Timbers. He is now a free agent. He's a veteran within the league. He's played and started for many teams throughout the league. Is Chris Duvall a viable option for FC Cincinnati? I mean, if they've played right back professionally, yes. Um, that sounds great, whoever. Um, yeah, or find whoever the best right back in the USL is. Like, that's who I would sign. Like, literally anybody as a backup there would be a good choice. Um, and then same thing with center back. Actually, I had made that point about just find – just sign the best USL center back and make him the backup. Like, this seems – fair uh, and then I remembered that best USL center back is probably Forrest Lasso who was a part of that worst defense of all time in 2019 yeah. so maybe we don't go that route with center back <laughs> <laughs> that's funny so like I just asked about Brenner's over under quick question what's your overall offseason acquisition grade B B plus. Um, I mean, this team had a lot of holes and then up until today, they had only added two starters, right? Like that seems wild that you'd have back-to-back -back wooden spoon winners and you'd add two starters. Um, it's hard to judge the off-season acquisition because frankly, the team after about halfway through last year declared, just decided the entire season was the off-season. So guys like um, Camo, uh, Mokotijo, um, Barial, those guys came in partway through last year to a terrible team. I'm not ready to say that those guys were a part of that team and sort of get that stank, get that funk from last year on them. Um, so if you consider Barial and Camo sort of newer signings, um, some good depth pieces. Ben Mines is a, a good depth piece. Calvin Harris was a solid draft pick. Um, doesn't cost anything as a generation Adidas player. Great. Um, those are all good additions. So yeah, I would say B plus. Um, would I have liked to have seen, uh, you know, Papu Gomez from Atalanta? Yeah, it would have moved you into A plus territory, but um, okay. it was always a reach. And if we were, I don't know, the second choice uh, to a uh, La Liga Champions League team, I'll take it. That's, that's ambition being shown by this club. So I'm happy with it. Absolutely. I agree with you. But I am. I, I want to go ahead and say I'm happy that you said the words wooden spoon before we did. And we'll get into that a little <laughs> bit later. 
it just kind of takes the edge off that you said it first. But in, in addition to their offseason acquisitions, FC Cincinnati, at least for now, will hold on to their 2019 number one overall MLS Super Draft selection, Frankie Amaya. Frankie has started all but four games in his first two years, but had this to say to The Athletic in regards to his trade request. During this offseason, I've realized that the club doesn't have the same level of commitment to me, so I have asked the club to trade me as I don't feel like my goals can be achieved in Cincinnati. Multiple clubs within MLS expressed interest, but FCC have denied all trade inquiries. As a Cincinnati fan and supporters group member, what are your thoughts on the Frankie Amaya saga? Uh, So I'm conflicted, right? So like on one hand, I'm all about, you know, labor should absolutely be able to go out and get the most value it can for itself. Like that is the whole reason why any of us work. And uh, I think it'd be foolish for you to take your current job and ask for less of a salary, right? That'd be silly. Um, So I, I, I empathize with, with Frankie in that respect. At the same time, Frankie did sign a generation Adidas contract, which gave him a set salary for three years and gives FC Cincinnati options for two. And it's my understanding that Frankie's comments are largely about wanting to be paid more because he is a very large part of this team. He's getting U.S. national team, at least youth national team looks. Um, He's probably not going to make that Olympic roster, but my guess is uh, he's only a couple of injuries away from being on that roster. Um, So he's right to think that he's, he's maybe worth more than what he's being paid, but at the same time, he signed that contract. Um, And the trickiest thing with the generation of Adidas contracts is that it does not incentivize the team that holds that contract to sell it. Um, If they were to sell Frankie to a European team, let's say, uh, FC Cincinnati does not get nearly as much money for that as if he were on a full contract. Um, and trading him within MLS is fine, but it becomes difficult to find somebody who will trade him, trade for him in order to pay him more money. His value right now is that he does not cost anything on the salary cap as a generation Adidas player. So yes, you could trade FC Cincinnati, I don't know, Eloy room, right? So you could trade room for, for Amaya. That seems like a silly thing. Um, but Amaya wants more than what he's making. So whatever you're trading, you're losing, and you're losing the most important part of Amaya, which is that he doesn't cost anything. So you're out twice. So nobody would really do that unless they could get him super cheap. And at that point, you're just kind of hoping that Amaya is going to be a pain in the ass for FCC, that he's such a hassle that they have to get rid of him. Um, but then Amaya still doesn't have leverage because FCC can just let him sit on the bench. They're not out anything. They're not paying him Adidas is or the league is whatever it is. Um, so he has no leverage here. Um, and honestly, he's been very good. He's been very good. He could be better and he should be better. And he's shown a plenty of flaws in his game. And if he were, even better yeah after this year i could definitely see him moving to europe i would sell him for a couple million bucks maybe and that'd be awesome you know europe we know is looking at major league soccer for talent um so it'd be great if he went out there and proved it uh and and kind of earned that next deal um so that's what i would like to see and that's what i think is going on with the maya i don't think he's demanding 
like the way that statement comes across it seems that like fc cincinnati isn't committed to winning which seems kind of silly like fcc is definitely doing a lot of things to try to win like they're not actively getting worse i don't think anybody would necessarily disagree with any of the acquisitions they've made you can say they didn't pan out but at the time they're made it makes sense like brinner makes sense now if he doesn't score a single goal you can say oh that was a bad signing but you can't say fcc wasn't trying to score goals by signing him um and they're just putting more and more good, talented pieces around him, and they're giving him starting time and plenty of playing time to showcase. I, I'm failing to see the issue here. He signed a contract. Maybe he regrets being a generation Adidas player. Maybe, I don't know, he could have signed with that. Or, I mean, honestly, if you go back and look at that draft, LAFC tried really hard to buy that draft pick off of FCC. He's from L.A., I bet he would have loved to have been an LAFC player, especially after these last two seasons. But I don't know. It's, it's the American tradition to go, you know, be a really good college player and go play for the worst professional team in your league, right? So, like, you live in the American dream and in this. That's the path to pro, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do think that FC Cincinnati, and they didn't do this intentionally, but these two signings of Brenner and Lucho Acosta kind of appease him. But I do foresee, since he's a part of this U.S. youth national team program, he didn't make the roster that I saw. And like you said, he's only a couple injuries away. But I do see you guys selling him sooner rather than later. He's a quality player. And teams, like you said, teams in Europe are looking for top young Americans. And I think he fits that mold. And I think that somebody can use him and you guys can cash in after his generation Adidas contract expires. Yeah, for sure. I, I do wonder if part of it is he has been an incredible ball winning midfielder. Like he's a very good box to box midfielder. Um, maybe, maybe more of a defensive guy. Um, I don't know if this is the case. This is purely speculation. Um, I have heard no indication of this, but I, I do wonder if he maybe viewed himself as more of a creative playmaker type and wanted to be that. Um, maybe that would agitate him. But now my, my understanding is this is, this is purely about money um, and thinking FCC should be paying him for more, more than the generation of Adidas contract, which, uh, again, defeats the purpose. So. Well, best of luck to the kid. He's had a rough two first seasons, not personally, yeah. <laughs> but as a squad. I think yes. got to put the time in, man. I mean, it's almost, it's almost up. So we'll see what happens, but we talked about it just a little bit, the two wooden spoons. So FC Cincinnati have followed up. Like we said, their, their 2018 USL regular season championship with two wooden spoon awards in their first uh, two MLS seasons with the likes of Brenner and Acosta among others, Cincinnati looks to change the tide and start winning for the massive fan base that backs them. What place will FC Cincinnati finish in the East, and will they make the playoffs for the first time in their young MLS careers? I'm going to say, yes, FC Cincinnati makes the playoffs, and I do not remember how many teams are allowed in the playoffs this year. I'm not even sure if the league has announced that yet, but it's let me go ahead COVID. and say – FC Cincinnati will be the second to last team in the playoffs. So whatever that is, is where FCC will be. So if it's 10 teams in the East, they'll finish ninth uh, in, in the East to, to sneak in that spot there. That's my expectation for this team. I think they have a lot of talent. Um, and I think 
honestly, if you look around the East, it's very top heavy, right? Like there's no denying it. Uh, Columbus has an incredible team, but if you look at a team like Miami, like it's just pure chaos over there. Um, Philadelphia has just been selling off all their best players. Great. New York Red Bulls is rebuilding. I don't know. They might field seven 15 year olds this year. Um, DC has a brand new coach. They're working through some things. Chris Armis is going to be taking over an aging squad in Toronto. Uh, Montreal is in uh, disarray after losing uh, Thierry Henry. And then, of course, Toronto and Montreal are going to be playing away from home in their sort of makeshift camp homes. I don't know. I think there's plenty to like that FCC can, you know, kind of weird in an MLS context to be saying this, but FCC has a fair amount of stability going into this season. Like, this is one of the first times ever in the club's history, going back to USL, that we've had the same manager uh, from last year into this year. Like, that just doesn't get to happen with us. Uh, it gets a full preseason. Um, it's largely the same core group of players with a few key good additions and some really smart, uh, uh, you know, sort of uh, guys moving on. So it's been – I don't, there's plenty to be optimistic about for this team. Um, they were largely unlucky. If you look at their expected goals last year, uh, they just missed a lot of shots that should have gone in. Um, they played Columbus like a hundred times and it would have been nice to have played Miami or Nashville uh, a few more times instead of Columbus and maybe a point here and there. And we accidentally end up in the playoffs. I don't know. Um, so there's there's a lot of different things that could happen there. Give me give give me the the second to last playoff team. Mike D, write that down. Speaking <laughs> of Nashville, let's stay on the topic while we're hot. MLS released the schedule for the first couple of weeks of this season, and you guys get to open your 2021 account against one of your rivals dating back to your USL days, Nashville SC. Scrolling through Twitter today, I said right before the ad, we're going to get into some Twitter beef here. Let's just say I saw a little bit of air quotes, friendly banter between the two fan bases. Kevin, can you please explain to us the rivalry between FC Cincinnati and Nashville SC? Uh, the, the rivalry between Nashville and Cincinnati is great because we treat Nashville the way everybody treated us when we joined the league. Um, I remember when we were, you know, the FC Cincinnati first popped up, um, Louisville fans, New York Cosmos fans, Detroit City fans, all making fun of us, calling us plastic fans because we were all going to be fans of a third division team playing in a college football stadium. Um, that that's what defined plastic at that point. Um, and so we, we carry that chip on our shoulder and FC Cincinnati fans, at least on Twitter and online, just, just got their, you know, their brows beaten by, by the, uh, sort of the, uh, the, unwashed masses of, uh, of, of American uh, lower division soccer, right? So that's sort of where that tradition came from. And when Nashville showed up, like Nashville was definitely that granted an MLS franchise out of nothing. Um, they actually killed off a really great fan community owned team in order to pull that off. Something a lot of people don't talk about. Um, and yeah, they, they were just sort of like granted a team without ever having to, have to prove it and yeah fcc was like whoa hang on i remember some criticisms we got but this actually like fits you like you guys are awful um and made fun of them uh, and just let them have it and uh it was great because they were really friendly when they actually came to cincinnati and we like bought them beers and stuff um 
so that was sort of the reaction. And then, you know, we talked about this before, the expansion fight and MLS expansion in those four spots, um, you know, looking at each of those expansion spots gone is another chance that your club dies. And Nashville was the first team announced. And so with that, SEC fans were just like, this Nashville team, I've had enough. These people are, they need to go. This fan base is awful. They don't deserve this. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's where that comes from. Now, here's the best part. We haven't got to play them in MLS. They were in the league all last year. We never played them once. So we have not gotten a chance to actually get that rivalry back up and running again. Um, I believe we drew every single time we played Nashville, including the preseason game, and officially – you look at the scorekeeping we drew them in the playoffs we advance on penalties but we drew them in the playoffs so um it's been a very equal matchup uh as well so i'm ex- i'm excited I'm, I'm very happy to finally get to play another regional rival i'll be tuning into that one for sure can't wait to watch after what i saw today on social media <laughs> <laughs> while we're on the topic what is the score of that game, Kevin? It will be two to two. Ooh, safe. Another well, tie. It's a lot of goals, but yeah, I have to pick a tie. I mean, that's just how can it end any other way? Um, and yeah, I, I trust our team to score some goals, and I trust our team to give up some goals. So that, that seems appropriate. <laughs> All right. We'll go. You heard it here first. Two two, opening game, 2021. Before we speak with a representative, from Nordeca in the following episode of this podcast. Let's take it all the way back to the first ever meeting between the Columbus crew and FC Cincinnati in the 2017 U.S. Open Cup. Talked about a little bit before this. You guys defeated the Columbus crew 1-0 to advance to the U.S. Open Cup quarterfinals. And since then, of their six meetings, FCC has only won once. Which was the last one. (laughs) Talk to us about the emotions of the first ever meeting against the crew and what the hell is real Derby really means to FC Cincinnati fans? Yeah, so that first matchup was huge. And also, um, we just missed it the year before. I don't know if people realize that. Um, in 2016, FC Cincinnati uh, drew the Tampa Bay Rowdies, and the winner of that match got the Columbus Crew in the Open Cup, and we lost, I believe it was even one nothing to Tampa Bay. So we, we got real close to getting Hell is Real in year one. Um, which I definitely would have expected Columbus to win. Uh, But winning that match and playing that match was massive because for Cincinnati soccer fans who were not crew fans, and even for a good amount who even were crew fans, um, Columbus crew was always that thing that was always there, but it never really felt like yours. Um, I don't know. I don't know how Columbus sports fans really like view this, but like the Columbus sports fans care a lot about the Cavaliers. I don't know, but like Cincinnati couldn't care less about the Cavaliers, like maybe LeBron James, but even then eh, don't really care. I don't know. It's about as much as the Columbus sports fan probably cares about the Indiana Pacers. That's probably enough. Right. So that's probably the, the same level of like, I guess I'd like you to do well. Like that's how like, me as a Cincinnati soccer fan, uh, always viewed Columbus crew. Um, but the more and more as it went on, the more it was obvious that like crew could have been Ohio's soccer team 
and they wanted to be Columbus's soccer team. And then they wanted to be Northern Ohio's soccer team, which is why they kept playing all these Open Cup games in, like, Akron and stuff, which was weird. It's like, hey, Cincinnati's right here. You could mm-hmm. play a game down here. It'd be fun. You had a fair number of season ticket holders. But, like, Columbus Crew didn't really do anything with the youth soccer teams that were down here. Um, it was always, like, this forgotten market. And then when we got FC Cincinnati, which was great, there were all these like old timer, old timer, you know, old timer, like crew fans who sort of thumbed their nose at us like, ah, okay, welcome to this thing that we've been doing forever. And we're just like, no, we've been soccer fans the whole time too. We just didn't want to be a fan of the Columbus team. We want to be a fan of our own team. Um, And so there was a lot of that animosity build up i think there's a decent amount of city rivalry naturally like in politics city uh columbus and cincinnati are rivals columbus tends to dominate state politics cincinnati does not usually play a very large role in state politics uh, it's been a long time since we've had a cincinnati-based governor for example there's no um cincinnati-based senators uh, are, are incredibly rare it's it's always columbus and, and northern ohio uh based so Columbus gets a lot of benefits from the state of Ohio. And frankly, Cincinnati doesn't particularly care for Ohio. Um, It doesn't care for Kentucky either. And it doesn't particularly care for Indiana. Uh, Cincinnati has always viewed itself as a state unto itself. We always refer to it as the Republic of Cincinnati. It is its own thing. Uh, It is weird. It is different. Um, Detroit tried that with us. They had all these like F Ohio scarves and stuff. We're just like, yeah us too like we hate ohio state and we don't really care for the state what do you want from us like we're right there with you um, like this does not offend us at all um so all of that was built up and then you add to that the you know the underdog story literally i mean we're we're the i think at that point a second division team versus uh the major league soccer team. Like this is our chance to have that, that David versus Goliath moment. Um, and yeah, sure. Columbus maybe didn't have the strongest team on the field, but let's not act like there weren't a hand handful of starters on that team. It wasn't a full beat team out there. Um, and FCC like didn't look terrible. Like it was a really good moment. It was like, Oh, we're in this. Like there's definitely like, they're the better team, but like we're surviving. Um, and to add just everything on top of that, GB Fall, who is an absolute club legend to any tried and true FC Cincinnati fan, scores the goal to win that Open Cup match. It's just perfect. It was everything we could have asked for. Give me GB Fall scoring the game winner. I believe GB was still serving his league suspension for the alleged bite at that point. Like, man, this guy is awesome he is our guy uh he knocks out columbus like this is perfect this was everything a cincinnati sports fan has been asking for for decades and we finally got it it was awesome as a crew fan that game hurt me so much and mike d wasn't yet a crew fan that year was one of the first years i moved down to virginia beach we moved in together and i was trying to make him a crew fan and we watched that game and I think that he saw me react the way I did to losing that game. And he's like, oh, man, the crew means something to Columbus. And uh, I think that's kind of when he became a crew fan. But next week we will be interviewing a member of Nordeca, and we'll be asking him the same exact question. Maybe not so much about that loss in the U.S. Open Cup because it's just sadness. 
yeah. but more so about what the hell is real Derby means to the Columbus crew and what that rivalry really means. But Kevin, do you have any closing thoughts for us before leaving MLS gone wild? Uh, let's see. I, I am really, really, really looking forward to this season overall. I'm just really excited to finally get some live soccer back. Uh, hopefully I get to see some of these games in person. Um, really, really looking forward to it. And gosh darn it, Cincinnati has to be better than the worst team in the league this year, right? Like they've got to be, give me second worst, right? Like it can't be worst three years in a row, right? That's not possible, right? Right? So. <laughs> right. <laughs> all right well I, I appreciate you guys having me on seriously this was uh a lot of fun i, I talked your ears off hopefully it's, it's easy to edit for you guys um i uh i i really appreciate you guys talking to me here of course it's it's a pleasure to have you on kevin your personality you have an extensive knowledge of, of soccer especially in, in cincinnati and it's wonderful just to sit back and listen to you talk to us about it um Big things to come, I think, for for Cincinnati this year um, at that at that second to last spot in the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we, so, we aim high over here, all right? <laughs> so uh, I'll, I'll just close myself out. Um, everybody who's listening, you know, we thank you guys so much for for taking the time out. Tell your friends, tell your families, tell anyone you see wearing an MLS jersey to check us out. MLS Gone Wild. We can be here anywhere you listen to podcasts. Interact with us on social media. We're active on Twitter and Instagram. On Twitter, we are at MLS Gone Wild. And on Instagram, we are at MLS underscore gone underscore wild underscore podcast. <laughs> it's a lot. It's just a lot. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, thank you for plugging us in there, Mike. We haven't done that in quite some time. But Kevin, like Mike D just said, thank you so much for joining us. Continue breaking that news on the post Cincy like you did today with the Lucho Acosta stuff. Keep contributing to Knifey Lion Radio Podcast and keep being the secretary for the pride. All right, man. Keep doing your thing. Keep supporting your club. Big things coming. I hope to see you guys step your game up in year three. So, Kevin, thank you. Listeners, thank you for listening to season three, episode five of MLS Gone Wild featuring the secretary of the Pride and editor-in-chief of the Post-Sensi, Kevin Wallace. Best of luck to FCC as they enter their third MLS season. Join us next week as we are joined by a member of the Columbus Crew's main supporters group, Nordeca. Until next week, stay wild, but stay healthy. Peace. <laughs>